Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our Course in Miracles daily reading conference call. We read from the text of Course in Miracles original edition, published by our dear friends of the Course in Miracles Society. You can access an online copy of the original edition by going to jcim.net, or if you mouse the link at top for online edition, you'll see the link to read ACIMOE. On that same drop-down, well, it's not on that same drop-down anymore. There's a separate tab called Lesson Sign-Up where you can subscribe to receive an excellent daily email containing both the reading for the day as well as the lesson for the day. My name is Lori Cameron. This call is Monday through Friday from about 9.15 to about 11 a.m. Eastern. And today we continue our reading of Chapter 13 from Perception to Knowledge with Section 8, I believe. Yes, Section 8, The Decision for Guiltlessness. Um, we will not be reading the entire section. Rather, we'll be reading from paragraphs 64 to 78. And we'll carry over till tomorrow. We're also mindful of our lesson today, Lesson 152, The Power of Decision is My Own. And by way of opening this morning, um, given that we're talking about guiltlessness and choosing this poem from Helen Shuckman in her book, The Gifts of God, seemed just perfect. The poem is called The Mirror of Forgiveness. I cannot fail in anything. I am supported by the angels, led by God unto himself. The Christ establishes my own identity as his. The love of all God's universe belongs to me. What place has sorrow in my universe when it is but a mirror for what God created as forever filled with joy? Forgiveness is the mirror of his love. And it is this I would hold out to him to catch the dream of holiness he gives and then to find that it is not a dream. To catch the dream of holiness he gives. Amen. Thank you, Lori. Thank you, Lori. Yes, thank, thank you, Lori. And to find that it isn't a dream. Wow. <laughs> Amen to that. <laughs> Three cheers for the power of decision, huh? <laughs> All right, my friends. Here's our reading list today. We have Fran, Harrison, Donna, Lana, Judy, Robin Marie, Karen, and Jessica. And I don't think anyone else has joined us. Um, let me say before we begin that we'll all be offering our thoughts and prayers to Lemoyne and his family as they undergo um, a life transition um, over time, I'm sure, in these next few weeks. And uh, we'll be thinking about him. So anyway, here we, here we go. In chapter 13, from perception to knowledge, section 8, the decision, decision for guiltlessness. Paragraph 64, 
learning will be commensurate with motivation and the interference in your motivation for learning is exactly the same as that which interferes with all your thinking. The happy learner cannot feel guilty about learning. This is so essential to learning that it should never be forgotten. The guiltless learner learns so easily because his thoughts are free. Yet this entails the recognition that guilt is interference, not salvation, and serves no useful function at all. Uh, Fran. Chapter 13. From Oh, I forgot the title. From, from Perception to Knowledge. Section 8. The Decision for Guiltlessness. Paragraph 64. Learning will be commensurate with motivation. And the interference in your motivation for learning is exactly the same as that which interferes with all your thinking. The happy learner cannot feel guilty about learning. This is so essential to learning that it should never be forgotten. The guiltless learner learns so easily because his thoughts are free. Yet this entails the recognition that guilt is interference, not salvation, and serves no useful function at all. 65. You are accustomed to using guiltlessness merely to offset the pain of guilt and do not look upon it as having value in itself. You believe that guilt and guiltlessness are both of value, each representing an escape from what the other does not offer you. You do not want either alone, for without both, you do not see yourselves as whole and therefore happy. Yet you are whole only in your guiltlessness, and only in your guiltlessness can you be happy. There is no conflict here. To wish for guilt in any way, in any form, will lose appreciation of the value of your guiltlessness and push it from your sight. Thank you, Fran. And Harrison. 65. You are accustomed to using guiltlessness merely to offset the pain of guilt and do not look upon it as having value in itself. You believe that guilt and guiltlessness are both of value, each representing an escape from what the other does not offer you. You do not want either alone, for without both, you do not see yourselves as whole and therefore happy. Yet you are whole only in your guiltlessness, and only in your guiltlessness can you be happy. There is no conflict here. To wish for guilt in any way, in any form, will lose appreciation of the value 
of your guiltlessness and push it from your sight. 66. There is no compromise that you can make with guilt and escape the pain which only guiltlessness allays. Learning is living here as creating is being in heaven. Whenever the pain of guilt seems to attract you, remember that if you yield to it, you are deciding against your happiness and will not learn how to be happy. Say, therefore, to yourself gently, but with the conviction born of the love of God and of his Son, what I experience, I will make manifest. If I am guiltless, I have nothing to fear. If I choose to testify to my acceptance of the atonement, not for its rejection. No, let me read that again. I, I choose to testify to my acceptance of the atonement, not for its rejection. I will accept my guiltlessness by making it manifest and sharing it. Let me bring peace to God's Son from his Father. Thank you, Harrison. And let's see. Donna. If you would please do 66, 67, and 68. Thank you. 66. There is no compromise that you can make with guilt and escape the pain which only guiltlessness allays. Learning this lesson here as Creating is being in heaven. Learning is living here as creating is being in heaven. Whenever the pain of guilt seems to attract you, remember that if you yield to it, you're deciding against your happiness and will not learn how to be happy. Say therefore to yourself gently, but with the conviction born of the love of God and of his Son. What I experience, I will manifest. If I am guiltless, I have nothing to fear. I choose to testify of my acceptance of the atonement, not for its rejection. I would accept my guiltlessness by making it manifest and sharing it. Let me bring peace to God's Son, from his father, 68. 
Each day, each hour and minute, even every second, you are deciding between the crucifixion and the resurrection, between the ego and the Holy Spirit. The ego is the choice for guilt, the Holy Spirit the decision for guiltlessness. The power of decision is all that is yours. What you can decide between is fixed because there are no alternatives except truth and illusion. And there is no overlap between them because they are opposites, which cannot be reconciled and cannot both be true. You are guilty or guiltless, bound or free, happy or unhappy. Thank you, Donna. And Lena, um, just so we do it three times, would you please do 67 through 69? Yes, okay, 67. What I experience, I will make manifest. If I am guiltless, I have nothing to fear. I choose to testify to my acceptance of the atonement, not for its rejection. I would accept my guiltlessness by making it manifest and sharing it. Let me bring peace to God's Son from his Father. 68. Each day, each hour, and minute, even every second, you are deciding between the crucifixion and the resurrection, between the ego and the Holy Spirit. The ego is the choice for guilt, the Holy Spirit the decision for guiltlessness. The power of decision is all that is yours. What you can decide between is fixed, because there are no alternatives except truth and illusion. And there is no overlap between them because they are opposites, which cannot be reconciled and cannot both be true. You are guilty or guiltless, bound or free, happy or unhappy. 69. The miracle teaches you that you have chosen guiltlessness, freedom, and joy. It is not a cause, but an effect. It is the natural result of choosing right, attesting to your happiness that comes from choosing to be free of guilt. Everyone you offer healing to returns it. Everyone you attack keeps it and cherishes it by holding it against you. Whether he does this or does it not will make no difference. You will think he does. It is impossible to offer what you do not want without this penalty. The cost of giving is receiving. Either it is a penalty from which you suffer or the happy purchase of a treasure to hold dear. 
Thank you, Lena. And Judy. Oh, thank you so much, Lori. The miracle teaches you that you have chosen guiltlessness, freedom, and joy. It is not a cause, but an effect. It is the natural result of choosing right, attesting to your happiness that comes from choosing to be free of guilt. Everyone you offer healing to returns it. Everyone you attack keeps it and cherishes it by holding it against you. Whether he does this or not, or does it not, will make no difference. You will think he does. It is impossible to offer what you do not want without this penalty. The cost of giving is receiving. Either it is a penalty from which you suffer or the happy purchase of a treasure to hold dear. No penalty is ever asked of God's Son except by himself and of himself. Every chance is given him to heal is another opportunity to replace darkness with light and fear with love. If he refuses it, he binds himself to darkness because he did not choose to free his brother and enter the light with him. By giving power to nothing, he threw away the joyous opportunity to learn that nothing has no power. And by not dispelling darkness, he became afraid of darkness and of light. The joy of learning that darkness has no power over the Son of God is the happy lesson the Holy Spirit teaches and would have you teach with him. It is his joy to teach it as it will be yours. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Judy. And Robin Marie. Seventy. No penalty is ever asked of God's Son except by himself and of himself. Every chance given him to heal another Oh every chance given him to heal is another opportunity to replace darkness with light and fear with love. If he refuses it, he binds himself to darkness because he did not choose to free his brother and enter light with him. By giving power to nothing, he threw away the joyous opportunity to learn that nothing has no power. And by not dispelling darkness, he became afraid of darkness and of light. The joy of learning that darkness has no power over the Son of God is the happy lesson the Holy Spirit teaches and would have you teach with him. It is his joy to teach it as it will be yours. 71. The way to teach this simple lesson is merely this. Guiltlessness 
is invulnerability. Therefore, make your invulnerability manifest to everyone and teach him that whatever he may try to do to you, your perfect freedom from the belief that you can be harmed shows him he is guiltless. He can do nothing that can hurt you. And by refusing to allow him to think he can, you teach him that the atonement, which you have accepted for yourself, is also his. There is, there is nothing to forgive. No one can hurt the Son of God. His guilt is wholly without cause, and being without cause cannot exist. Thank you, Robin Marie and Karen. Seventy-one. The way to teach this simple lesson is merely this. Guiltlessness is invulnerability. Therefore, make your invulnerability manifest to everyone and teach him that whatever he may try to do to you, your perfect freedom from the belief that you can be harmed shows him he is guiltless. He can do nothing that can hurt you. And by refusing to allow him to think he can, you teach him that the atonement which you have accepted for yourself is also his. There is nothing to forgive. No one can hurt the Son of God. His guilt is wholly without cause, and being without cause cannot exist. 72. God is the only cause, and guilt is not of him. Teach no one he has hurt you, for if you do, you teach yourself that what is not of God has power over you. The causeless cannot be. Do not attest to it, and do not foster belief in it in any mind. Remember always that mind is one and cause is one. You will learn communication with this oneness only when you learn to deny the causeless and accept the cause of God as yours. The power that God has given to his son is his and nothing else can his son see or choose to look upon without imposing on himself the penalty of guilt in place of all the happy teaching the Holy Spirit would gladly offer him. Thank you, Karen and Jessica. Thanks, Lori. 72. God is the only cause and guilt is not of him. Teach no one he has hurt you. For if you do, you teach yourself that what is not of God has power over you. The causeless cannot be. Do not attest to it, and do not foster belief in it in any mind. Remember always that mind is one and cause is one. You will learn communication with this oneness only 
when you learn to deny the causeless and accept the cause of God as yours. The power that God has given to his son is his, and nothing else can his son see or choose to look upon without imposing on himself the penalty of guilt in place of all the happy teaching the Holy Spirit would gladly offer him. 73. Whenever you decide to make decisions for yourself, you are thinking destructively, and the decision will be wrong. It will hurt you because of the concept of decision which led to it. It is not true that you can make decisions by yourself or for yourself alone. No thought of God's Son can be separate or isolated in its effects. Every decision is made for the whole sonship, directed in and out, and influencing a constellation larger than anything you ever dreamed of. Those who accept the atonement are invulnerable, but those who believe they are guilty will respond to guilt because they think it is salvation and will not refuse to see it and side with it. They believe that increasing guilt is self-protection, and they will fail to understand the simple fact that what they do not want must hurt them. Thank you, Jessica. Let's see, what we have a new reader for 73 and 74? Uh, we're in chapter 13, paragraph 73 and 74. I'll do it, Lori. Well, thanks. Thanks, Lori. Okay. Whenever you decide to make decisions for yourself, you are thinking destructively and the decision will be wrong. It will hurt you because of the concept of decision which led to it. It is not true that you can make decisions by yourself or for yourself alone. No thought of God's Son can be separate or isolated in its effect. Every decision is made for the whole sonship directed in and out and influencing a constellation larger than anything you ever dreamed of. Those who accept the atonement are invulnerable, but those who believe they are guilty will respond to guilt because they think it is salvation and will not refuse to see it and side with it. They believe that increasing guilt is self-protection, and they will fail to understand the simple fact that what they do not want must hurt them. All this arises because they do not believe that what they want is good, yet will was giving, given them, yet will was given them because it is holy and will bring to them all that they need 
<clears throat> coming naturally as peace that knows no limit. There is no nothing. There is nothing their wills will not provide that offers them anything of value. Yet because they do not understand their will, the Holy Spirit quietly understands it for them and gives them what they will without effort, strain, or the impossible burden of deciding what they want and need alone. Thank you, Lemoyne. And would there be another new reader for 74 and 75? This is Mindy. I can read. Thanks, Mindy. Okay. Oh, let's just scroll down to it. <laughs> you might hear a praying kitty right next to me here. 74. All this arises because they do not believe that what they want is good. Yet will was given them because it is holy and will bring to them all that they need, coming as naturally as peace that knows no limits. There is nothing their wills will not provide that offers them anything of value. Yet because they do not understand their will, the Holy Spirit quietly understands it for them and gives them what they will without effort, strain, or the impossible burden of deciding what they want and need alone. It will never happen that you will have to make decisions for yourself. You are not bereft of help and help that knows the answer. Would you be content with little, which is all that you alone can offer yourself, when he, who gives you everything, will simply offer it to you? He will never ask what you have done to make you worthy of the gift of God. <laughs> ask it not, therefore, of yourself. Instead, accept his answer, for he knows that you are worthy of everything God wills for you. <laughs> oh, excuse me, I've got a cat coming in front of my face here. I would like to repeat that last sentence because it's so important. Oh, ask it not, therefore, of yourselves. Instead, accept his answer, for he knows that you are worthy of everything God wills for you. Do not try to escape the gift of God, which he so freely and so gladly offers you. He offers you but what God gave him for you. You need not decide whether or not you are deserving of it. God knows you are. Thank you, Mindy. And would there be another reader for 75 and 76? Okay, back to you, Fran. 75. It will never happen that you will have to make decisions for yourself. You are not bereft of help and help that knows the answer. Would you be content with little, which is all that you alone can offer yourself? 
when he who gives you everything will simply offer it to you. He will never ask what you have done to make you worthy of the gift of God. Ask it not, therefore, of yourselves. Instead, accept his answer, for he knows that you are worthy of everything God wills for you. Do not try to escape the gift of God, which he so freely and so goodly offers you. He offers you but what God gave him for you. You need not decide whether or not you are deserving of it. God knows you are. 76. Would you deny the truth of God's decision and place your pitiful appraisal of yourself in place of his calm and unswerving value of his son? Nothing can shake God's conviction of the perfect purity of everything that he created, for it is wholly pure. Do not decide against it. For being of him, it must be true. Peace abides in every mind that quietly accepts the plan which God has set for his atonement, relinquishing his own. You know not of salvation, for you do not understand it. Make no decisions about what it is or where it lies, but ask of the Holy Spirit everything and leave all decisions to his gentle counsel. Thank you, Fran. And Harrison. 76. Would you deny the truth of God's decision and place your pitiful appraisal of yourself in place of his calm and unswerving value of his son? Nothing can shake God's conviction of the perfect purity of everything that he created. For it is wholly pure. Do not decide against it. For being of him, it must be true. Peace abides in every mind that quietly accepts the plans which God has set for his atonement, relinquishing his own. You know not of salvation, for you do not understand it. Make no decisions about what it is or where it lies, but ask of the Holy Spirit everything and leave all decisions to his gentle counsel. 77. The one who knows the plan of God what God would have you follow can teach you what it is. Only his wisdom is capable of guiding you to follow it. Every decision you undertake alone but signifies that you would define what salvation is 
and what you would be saved from. The Holy Spirit knows that all salvation is escape from guilt. You have no other, quote, unquote, enemy. And against the strange distortion of the purity of the Son of God, the Holy Spirit is your only friend. He is the strong protector of your innocence, which sets you free. And it is his decision to undo everything that would obscure your innocence from your unclouded mind. Thank you, Harrison. And Donna. 77. The one who knows the plan of God, which God would have you follow, can teach you what it is. Only his wisdom is capable of guiding you to follow it. Every decision you undertake alone but signifies that you would define what salvation is and what would and what you would be saved from. The Holy Spirit knows that all salvation is escape from guilt. You have no other enemy, and against this strange distortion of the purity of the Son of God, the Holy Spirit is your only friend. He is the strong protector of your innocence, which sets you free. And it is his decision to undo everything that would obscure your innocence from your unclouded mind. 78. Let him, therefore, be the only guide that you would follow to salvation. He knows the way and leads you gladly on it. With him, you would not fail to learn what God wills for you is your will. Without his guidance, you will think you know alone and will decide against your peace as surely as you made the wrong decision in ever thinking that salvation lay in you alone. Salvation is of him to whom God gave it for you. He has not forgotten it. Forget him not, and he will make every decision for you, for your salvation and the peace of God in you. Thank you, Donna. Uh, And Lana, if you'd like to do 78, where we'll finish for today. Okay. Let him, therefore, be the only guide that you would follow to salvation. He knows the way and leads you gladly on it. With him, you will not fail to learn what God wills for you is your will. I'm going to read that sentence again. With him, you will not fail to learn what God wills for you is your will. 
Without his guidance, you will think you know alone and will decide against your peace as surely as you made the wrong decision in ever thinking that salvation lay in you alone. Salvation is of him to whom God gave it for you. He has not forgotten it. Forget him not, and he will make every decision for you, for your salvation and the peace of God in you. Amen. Amen, indeed. Thank you, Lana, and thank you, everyone who read this morning. It is most appropriate that we finish this exactly at the hour where we can pause and reflect on this most significant of all decisions. Uh, so, Fran, I'm going to turn it over to you for the lesson today. Thank you, Lori. Hi, everybody. We are still in the first part of the workbook, and we today we are on Lesson 152. The power of decision is my own. I will read from the lesson, and then we'll do our five-minute practice on the lesson. Okay? The power of decision is my own. No one can suffer loss unless it be his own decision. No one suffers pain except his choice elects the state for him. No one can grieve nor fear nor think him sick unless these are the outcomes that he wants and no one dies without his own consent. Here is your world, complete in all details. Here is its whole reality for you. And it is only here salvation is. You may believe that this position is extreme and too inclusive to be true. Yet can truth have an exception? Salvation is a recognition that the truth is true and nothing else is true. This you have heard before, but may not yet accept both parts of it. Truth cannot have an opposite. Nothing but the truth is true, and what is false is false. As God created you, you must remain unchangeable with transitory states by definition false. And that includes all shifts in feeling, alterations in conditions of the body and the mind, in all awareness and in all response. Is it not strange that you believe to think you made the world you see is arrogance? God made it not. Of this you can be sure. To think that God made chaos contradicts his will, invented opposites to truth, and suffers death to triumph over life. All this is arrogance. Humility would see at once these things are not of him. Let us today be truly humble and accept what we have made as what it is. The power of decision is our own. Decide but to accept your rightful place as co-creator of the universe, and all you think you made will disappear. Today, we practice true humility, abandoning the false pretense by which the ego seeks to prove it arrogant. Only the ego can be arrogant. But truth is humble. 
We lay aside the arrogance which says that we are sinners, guilty and afraid, ashamed of what we are. And we lift our hearts in true humility. We think of truth alone as we arise and spend five minutes practicing its ways, encouraging our frightened minds with this. The power of decision is my own. This day, I will accept myself as what my Father's will created me to be. Then, we will wait in silence, giving up all self-deceptions as we humbly ask ourselves that he reveal himself to us. In patience, wait for him throughout the day and hourly invite him with the words with which the day began, concluding it with the same invitation to yourself. God's voice will answer, for he speaks for you and for your Father. He will substitute the peace of God for all your frantic thoughts, the truth of God for self-deceptions, and God's Son for your illusions of yourself. So we'll do our five-minute practice now. Lesson 152, the power of decision is my own.
No one can suffer loss unless it be his own decision. Lesson 152. The power of decision is my own. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Fran. Your conviction was palpable. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Fran. I was feeling it, too. (laughs) Me, too. Thank you, Fran. Thank you, guys. Me, too. Thank you, Fran. Me, three. Thank you. Fran. This is Mindy, and I just want to say I see the community between the lesson and the text so clearly today. I just love this. God's will. Uh, I am as God created me. And uh, our decision is my own. And today I accept that I am what my creators will create me to be. I am a blissful soul, joyful, happy, and free. Are you complete, Mindy? Uh, yes, I'm sorry. I said so. My phone is acting up. I'm complete. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, guys. Good morning. It's Jude. I'm thrilled, very inspired by today's reading and the lesson and being here with you all today. The joy, 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 joy that's mentioned throughout the the text and the freedom, freedom, freedom. Um, How that guiltlessness is... um, a universal perspective. It's all-encompassing and and all-inclusive. Nobody's excluded from it. I can't judge part of God, part of the Son of God, which is one, without judging all of it. So, um, you know, that takes a whole lot of thinking about what I see, thinking about what um, I'm perceiving, I don't have to think about it. I simply don't have to think about it. (laughs) The word interference, you know, it's really been jumping out at me in this study, um, studying upon guilt, and guilt and interference is the only thing. Um, Guilt being a judgment upon someone, and um, judgment is from Judy's experience of the past. What I think I know and that is interference. And how I'm coming to that is from one of the prayers in the text where it says, in inviting the Holy Spirit to be the guide to judge this, what I'm perceiving, for God for me, because I don't know what to think about it. It's disturbing me already. And I haven't even decided. You know, I know not to decide because I'm, my peace is already disturbed. So, ergo, this, um, you know, carrying this with the deepening, um, a deeper, deeper, deeper um, practicing of the ideas 
the thoughts that come from the mind of God, innocent and guiltlessness. You know, it's just thinking how guilt is, is from the past, letting go of the past. What I think I know is all from the past, letting go of all that I've learned, being a happy new learner, a joyful learner, and letting him teach me, my teacher, who's always with me every single day, and that I can't make any decisions without him, knowingly, un- with the understanding that I can't possibly know, I've had the thought that I can't ha- keep a thought for myself. I've gotten that far. If I'm thinking alone, I'm not thinking for everybody. But this continuation and deepening of the conviction of my dependence upon the Holy Spirit to decide for me, asking him, what is, what's your will? What is our will? God's will, one will. <laughs> In every moment, every second, um, you know, that uh, the rules for decision um, have to become a habit for me. And I still catch myself not thinking about asking, just thinking, I know I need to do this or I want to do that. And do I really need to do this or do I really need no, I, I want to do that is where I, I need to pause and, and gently remind myself, Jude, you don't know what you need or what you want. You think you do, but this is how um, I come to be more totally dependent on what God's will for me is, who absolutely knows what the highest good for everyone is. And that just thrills me. That's what thrills me and fills be full of joy because I can't possibly, you can't possibly know that, but um, he does. I can't and he can and I'll let him. <laughs> this is great stuff, isn't it? I'm so thrilled to be here. Thank you so much. And Lemoyne, I'm glad you joined us. Thank you, Lori, for bringing us together and everyone for being here. I am complete. Oh, thank you, Judy. That was perfect, Judy. Thank you. Thank you, Judy. Thank you, Judy. Good morning, it's Lana. Um, uh, This section this morning, um, it has one of my favorite lines in the whole, favorite sentences in the whole text. It's in paragraph 70. By giving power to nothing, he threw away the joyous opportunity to learn that nothing has no power. You know, it, it always has to, uh, it's, it's like a, kind of shakes up the mind a bit, you know, shakes it back into place that um, I really, I really can't affect any change when there's nothing there to change. But I believe, but if I believe there's something there that I can change, my ego will interfere and it will try to give power to nothing. And um, and so uh, my guidance has always been that if I can't let something go, just to let it be, you know, just to let it be, just like that Beatles song, let it be, and there always comes an answer. Um, as long as I'm not interfering in the healing of it, because as soon as I acknowledge that I'm 
mistaken about, you know, whether we're talking about guilt or any ego manifestation, emotional manifestation, um, you know, if I'm believing that it is real, I will try to fix it. That's just the tendency. The uh, ego thought system is a doer. It's, it, it isn't like spirit. Spirit just be, you know, it's just a being that is being <laughs> love. So I try to, if I can't do anything else, I at least try to do nothing um, and let it be. And then, um, you know, when I rest in God with that, um, I find that it actually lets go of me. I don't have to do anything which says I'm letting go of this because I'm I'm always letting go. That idea of letting go is is about letting go of nothing. And, and it's just like true forgiveness is the recognition that there's actually nothing to forgive. That awakening moment takes care of everything, all the distortions and misperceptions in my mind. So by not interfering, by just letting it be and not feeding it with my focus and attention, by not interfering with it, by trying to figure it out or fix it, that energy will pass quietly out of my awareness. And then I'll look and it'll be gone. And it's, and it's quite miraculous to, to know that I didn't have to do anything. I just had to trust the truth is true. I had to trust the Holy Spirit. And I just had to get out of the way and let truth be true. Um, so, uh, whether I'm talking about guilt or anything else, um, that's the remedy for me to go back to peace is to not interfere with God's will and just align with it. And I align with it by just keeping my mind still and quiet and resting with God. So I'm complete. Thank you for listening. Giving power to nothing. Thank you, Lana. That was just yes. excellent. Uh-huh. Thank you, Lana. That was Thank so you, clear. Yeah, Thank and you, it, just, it felt so so helpful after the reading to have that little extra bit from you. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Oh, Thank you. Yes, it reminds me of what Lemoyne always shares about the world all being a fact. Um, Lemoyne, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> God is first cause, and we are his only effect, and we're not second to him. That all the thoughts that we think we're with God that are true are loving thoughts and accepting thoughts and letting wisdom, that wisdom of letting things be God as God is manifesting himself as effect, that effect in the world and appearances and what seems to be what the ego calls reality is, is all effect, including our bodies and what we say and do. And um, we weren't created to say or do anything. We were just created in, in, in mind as thought. And um, that's prior to saying or doing anything. So it's that stepping back and um, um, acknowledging that reality is it's twice removed from signs and symbols, appearances and images. 
um, the truth that is invisible, but is ever present everywhere, always, already. And <laughs> enough out of me. I'm excited. I'll be quiet. Thank you. Thank you, Judy. Uh, thank you, Judy. Thank you, Judy. It's Harrison. Who am I? Who are you? Those, to me, are the fundamental questions. It's where everything starts and everything ends. Who am I? Who are you? What am I? What are you? The answer to those questions will either lead to peace and happiness or pain and suffering to life or death. The line in the course in 66, there is no compromise that you can make with guilt and escape the pain which only guiltlessness allays. Learning is living here as creating is being in heaven. Whenever the pain of guilt seems to attract you, remember that if you yield to it, you are deciding against your happiness and will not learn how to be happy. Say therefore to yourself gently, with, but with the conviction born of the love of God and of his Son. What I experience, I will make manifest. If I am guiltless, I have nothing to fear. I choose to testify to my acceptance of the atonement, not to the rejection of the atonement. I would accept my guiltlessness by making it manifest and ensuring it and carrying it. Let me bring peace to God's Son from His Father and 
begotten son from his father. One more. Each day, each hour, every minute, and every second, you are deciding between the crucifixion and the resurrection, between the ego and the Holy Spirit. That is very important to me, to not forget that I'm always deciding between the crucifixion and the resurrection. So what does that mean? To me, it means that I'm deciding between who I am as God created me, his perfect creation, or myself as I have decided I am a body born in a world that will end, the world will end, I will end in death. So I'm always making that decision. Whether I'm conscious of it or not, I'm always deciding between the resurrection and the crucifixion. The Course is only here to remind me that I'm making that decision. When I decide for the resurrection, I'm deciding for peace, happiness, love, joy, eternal life. When I decide for the crucifixion, I'm accepting sickness, death, attack, war, murder, all of that. So it's my choice that determines what my experience is and what I choose to see. The power of decision is my own. I'm complete. That was just excellent, Harrison. Yeah, that was great. Thank you, Harrison. Oh, thank you, Harrison. Thank you, Harrison. You know, in honor of the name of the chapter from perception to knowledge, um, 
the the ideas of um, perception being judgment, being um, the decision not to know, perceiving. It's to think I know. I'm forming a judgment about what I think I know about something according to the eyes of the body via perception. And to let that, all of that go, that I don't, I don't believe not only what I see, but what I think about what I see, and letting judgments of it go, I think that's pretty much the um, definition of forgiveness as the Course defines it, to stand back as an innocent bystander and to merely see you know, that word merely, you know, and it's used in the text a couple times today, like it's such an easy thing to do, to merely know that nobody can touch me or hurt me, seemed like an awful, awfully huge thing for me to understand, to really truly know what's the truth, that nobody could hurt me, that it's only my thinking that think, thinks I can be hurt. And to step back from that kind of thinking and let that kind of thinking go is the deepening understanding and awareness of the truth of who I am. And that takes practice. And thank you, um, Harrison, for re- reading that, um, that, that line in the text where it says, with the conviction born of the love of God, um, you know, repeat these ideas, and I'm reminded again how throughout the year the, the, the conviction that comes from repeating the ideas that God would have me think and let go of the ideas that the ego would have me think and recognizing the difference, the difference in the source of the thoughts and on whose behalf they come. Do they come on behalf of the truth in me from God? Or do they come upon the, the, um, the falsity of the ego that would leave me in doubt and in fear and insecurity? This is like fundamental to who I am. Thank you very much, Harrison. I love you all. Thank you. I'm complete. Thank you, Judy. Thank you, Judy. Thank you, Judy.
Oh, good morning, everyone. Okay, I'm I'm going to talk again because it's so quiet. Um, in pay, uh, paragraph 72, where it talks about God being the only cause, and what is causeless cannot be. Do not attest to it. Do not foster belief in it and any mind. So, you know, I'm working a lot with body pain, and, you know, the that Judy is an image in in the mind and that it doesn't have reality in and of itself. It's cause it's um it's not in the mind of God. It's it's part of the egoic thought system that has created bodies in a world that is unre unreality in and of it by its alone by itself. But in the next paragraph, um about making decisions that you know who's the decision maker who who like um Harrison you were saying who am i and to for Judy to think that she's the thinker is the mistaken self appraisal that god is doing the thinking and only the thoughts that i would think with god are true truly thinking and then there's idle thoughts of the ego, personal thoughts, personal concerns, decisions for yourself, and that's destructive, and decisions will be wrong, and they will hurt me. So um, the, um, because the concept from where the decision came, which led to those decisions, are not true, and I can't make decisions for myself alone. But the powerful line in that par- this paragraph 73, that every decision is made for the whole sonship, directed in and out and influencing a constellation larger than anything you ever dreamed of. And that, um, that is where our innocence lies and that is where our invulnerability lies. That is where the strength and the power of the unified mind as one lies, the strength of God in me lies. And it's by only by acknowledging that magnitude and the power of that and the healing potential of that is where is where that comes from. It's it all comes from God and is God, that I am a part of God and one with God. Um it's it's just so powerful. It's just so absolutely powerful to me that um, the um, the freedom, the freedom, and the glory and the magnitude of being a part of the mind of God, and that in joining with it and acknowledging it, um, that Christ consciousness is born born in me, in my awareness, every second of every day. Or I forget it, and it's it becomes power. It's a power that I cannot use, and I'm I have no power of myself alone. I am nothing, but with my Father, I am I am one, and the source of all glory and power of my Father is within me. So this is um um and one more thing about the um compromising with guilt, <coughs> either the as I said earlier about it being a universal percep- perception that 
the whole of God's creation is innocent, and it's not. It's the same that in the same way that it works with knowledge, that God is is either in everything or he's in nothing. And knowledge and, and truth is in everything or or I've lost my awareness of the totality of it, which doesn't change it. It's changeless. But my awareness, I lose my awareness of the totality of, of my reality. So that um, this um, assigning judgment um, is judging anything. It's, it's the cost. The penalty I pay is the cost of the awareness of the totality of my reality, that to judge any part of it is to lose the awareness of all of it. Because I can't separate out and say, you know, I don't like this, or you don't belong here, or there's something wrong with this, to criticize it or complain about it, or to like one part better than another part, or um, to dislike one part um you know, less than another part, that's where all the sense of um, opposition and distinction, distinctions and dis- distinguishing parts from the whole, that every part is a part of the whole and, and the whole is in every part. And that's the way that God sees it because he doesn't perceive it in parts. He perceives it all as himself. And that is when I know my oneness and my completion when I see it the way God sees it and knows it. So, um, oh. <laughs> I think I, br- I, I pretty much burned out Judy's voice. Thank you. I'm complete. <laughs> thank you, Judy. Oh, thank, thank you, Judy. Judy. Thank you, Judy. That's a big piece. Good morning, everyone. This is Lori. And uh, I'm so happy we can all be here together this morning to experience this section and this lesson together. Um, together, uh, the lesson and the section are like sitting down for Thanksgiving dinner to me. Um, the lesson and the section represent uh, the main course, if you will, offered by this Feast of the Course in Miracles. I'm hearkening back to um, to chapter 3 this morning where he talks about oops, wrong page atonement without sacrifice I think is the section and in that section he makes it really clear that the innocent mind has everything The innocent mind has everything. And this innocence, as I've heard various voices say today, is the nature of the soul's creation. The image and likeness of the Father 
of light quality and character, spirit and truth. Um, it is creation. And I really, um, really want to uh, highlight the fact that guiltlessness has a value of itself, as he says in paragraph 65. Because the innocent mind has everything. We're enjoined in this work over and over and over uh, in so many ways, in so many uh, facets, if you will. The atonement is presented like a diamond from this perspective, from that perspective, from this frame of reference, from that. The atonement is altogether true and restores the Son of God to his original creation. It's a given. And it only asks that I agree with it. That's all. It only asks for my agreement. Somehow, somewhere along the way, um, we had this experience that uh, we have a separate will, that I had a separate will, that I had different goals in mind for my life, that I had a different direction, that I could determine that direction by myself that I alone knew where I was going. All of that is part of the ego fiction. And it turns out that everything about the ego um, and the experience of life as an ego uh, is a theft from my reality. And when I see it that way, when I accept atonement for myself, um, I arrive at that understanding that he says from the very beginning in Principles of Miracles that mind can only serve. Your mind can only serve. And the choices are fixed. You're either going to serve fiction, uh, the ego, a separate will, a separate goal, or you'll serve spirit. And of these two, only one is true. Of these two, only one is true. Isn't that, isn't that like he's um, reminding us in today's lesson? The innocent mind does have everything because the awareness of truth is returned by the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit? But my own right mind all my knowledge saved for me that I might do my will. That's what the Holy Spirit is. And in that mind's agreement with truth, everything is restored to my awareness. I wake up. I wake up. And that's the purpose of this journey, all of it is that I can experience contrast and in the experience of contrast make a good, solid, firm commitment to only one being true. That's what he's asking me to do. And the reason the innocent mind have, has everything is because guiltlessness is a value in itself. There is no conflict because there is no opposite. 
to guiltlessness. I only thought there was. And when I experienced life that way, of course guilt was my constant companion. Why? Because I wasn't fulfilling my function. I wasn't fulfilling my will. There's only one thing that will make me happy. Only one thing that will make me happy, and that's to do my will. The Holy Spirit is is my teacher, my answer, my guide, my truth, my knowledge, my everything, my great mother, my great father, my awareness of truth, who knows that the altar to God is the only reality, and he placed that altar in the heart of his son. Every one of us worship at the same altar. Every one of us have a natural awareness of this truth. It's programmed in. It's programmed into our creation. It's in our DNA. It's a part of us. More real, more real than breath is this truth. And all he asks, all he asks is that I accept that my mind can only serve and make the choice for truth. And there's a natural outcome. I want to to highlight paragraph 67. I thought about that this morning. What I experience, I will make manifest. What does that mean? And and I'll tell you what, the, the day it came to me in full, full realization, um, is a really silly thing but you know I learned my biggest lessons with silly things because I'm open to the gentleness of Holy Spirit but anyway um, I finished reading about atonement as a total commitment um, that mind can only serve it's always the perfect defense innocence is invulnerability and um, I'd, I'd read about that and I'd, I'd realize the depth and breadth of this total commitment this power of decision and how he talks about all of the vacillations of the mind you know today i'm happy tomorrow i'm sad today i love tomorrow i'm afraid all of all of those waves on the surface of the mind he says when i can accept the truth of innocence all of those waves across the surface of my mind will disappear well anyway that particular day um, I was walking down the stairs and uh, had a backache and I was carrying a laundry basket and in my mind I was thinking gosh I wish Kathy carried this basket downstairs for me and I got downstairs with a basket and she was sitting on the couch watching TV and I huffed and I puffed and gave out a great big sigh and, and when I set the basket down in the laundry room, it instantly occurred to me, atonement is a total commitment. And if I am experiencing blame in my mind, I'm attacking. And when I attack, I will make that manifest. And there was my behavior, acting like an idiot, you know, transmitting guilt by my breath. That's what that was. And I set the basket down and I realized that's exactly what I did. And now I know. Now I know why I feel like crap. Because I was 
attacking with my thoughts. What I experience, I will make manifest. The guide for golden rule and behavior, he says, is to perceive truly. And if I'm not in my right mind, I'm not perceiving truly, I'll attack, whether it's with judgment, in my thoughts, in my face. I mean, all of that will become manifest in my behavior, whether I want it to or not. But that's not my will. That's not my true will. I want to live the truth. What I experience, I will make manifest. So what's my job to me? My job is always to defer. Always to defer because in truth, mind can only serve. He asked us in this lesson today to not be arrogant, to think you know, to think you can decide, to think you um, understand without the benefit of all my knowledge saved for me. Be humble, he says. Be humble. Be single-minded. That's the only way to be single-minded is to accept innocence. And the nature of innocence is just exactly like the nature of holiness. It belongs to everyone. Innocence is the nature of God's creation. He says, I will know God as myself when I accept the conditions for truth. The condition for truth is the denial of the opposite of goodness. Opposites only exist in my mind. They're made out of truth plus fiction. Truth plus fiction. I need to make a firm and total commitment to always defer and when I do, Holy Spirit will tell me the truth of everything. And the truth of everything is innocent, perfect, lovely, holy, and beautiful. And I can have that in my mind constantly when I defer to Holy Spirit. Because it is a fact your mind can only serve. My mind can only serve. And I can always, I must always choose what I will serve, the spirit of truth, my knowledge safe for me, or this fictional existence I thought I had. I'm complete, and I love this section of this lesson. And I'm so happy that we're here to share it with each other, because it's the only, only way we can make it manifest and true to ourselves. So thank you, everyone. Um, for your shares this morning and just for the act of picking up the phone and dialing in. Um, that's, that's a natural profession of the desire for truth. I'm complete. Oh, thank you so much. That was so great. Thank you, Lori. Thank, thank you, Lori. Lori. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Lori. That was just wonderful. Everything is holy now. Thank you, Lori. <laughs> I love that song. <laughs> Thanks, Judy. Good morning. This is Sandra. And I love this reading and I love the lesson. And 
I was wondering if I could um, focus on paragraph 71 and actually just read it. I just would like to read it, if that's okay. Oh, yes, please. Go ahead. <laughs> the way to teach this simple lesson is merely this. Guiltlessness is invulnerability. Therefore, make your invulnerability manifest to everyone and teach him that whatever he may try to do to you, your perfect freedom from the belief that you can be harmed shows him he is guiltless. He can do nothing that can hurt you. And by refusing to allow him to think he can, you teach him that the atonement which you have accepted for yourself is also his. There is nothing to forgive. No one can hurt the Son of God. His guilt is wholly without cause, and being without cause cannot exist. And for me, that that just, you know, it's when I think I've done something it's only because I took something personally that somebody else said and because of doubt possibly within me I end up suffering and it's not necessary I'm guiltless I see myself the way God sees me and I am guiltless <laughs> and although I may experience some suffering and pain and sadness and loss it's temporary. I just need to let it pass through. It's on its way out. And it's all about moving forward to the hundred million thousand gazillion other opportunities there is to extend love on this planet. And if I extend it somewhere and it's not received, just move on. There's someone who will totally appreciate what I have to offer. And if they can't, I don't have to take it personally because there's somebody else for them that they can uh, participate with that can help them to heal that might be better than I am. Or there's somebody else for me that might be a better fit than they are. It's not a personal thing. I'm complete. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you, Sandra. Well, any final uh, shares here before we end the recording?
Okay, then. Um, I was given guidance for this paragraph this morning. It's from Chapter 27 in the section called The Healing Example. The only way to heal is to be healed. The miracle extends without your help, but you are needed that it can begin. Accept the miracle of healing, and it will go forth because of what it is. It is its nature to extend itself the instant it is born, and it is born the instant it is offered and received. No one can ask another to be healed, but he can let himself be healed and thus offer the other what he has received. Who can bestow upon another what he does not have? And who can share what he denies himself? The Holy Spirit speaks to you. He does not speak to someone else. Yet by your listening, his voice extends because you have accepted what he says. That's, um, that's what's on offer today. And for that, I am so grateful. Thank you, everyone, uh, for joining, anyone who listens, um, and anyone who practices this lesson today. It is for us all. So thank you, everyone. And recognize that the call goes on even after we end the recording. So...